I am Anton. I am the husband to Yolana, the father of Kenan and Kieran, and the child of God Almighty. And I have been reminded so beautifully this morning of that again. Do you hear me? I've been reminded of that again. I've been reminded because the Lord remembers everything apart from our sin and shame and guilt. Apart from that, He remembers. It's what He does. He does not remember like we remember because we forget that, ah, oh, I remember. No, he remembers consistently, continuously. And sometimes, it sounds a terrible thing to say. I was reminded this morning again that I am a child of God Almighty. <clears throat> I know, it's quite a thing. One of our elders forgot that he's a child of God. <laughs> well, it's the 9th of January. Yes. And it's custom, I believe, during January to still be okay to say, Happy New Year! <laughs> well, it's not very convincing. And I'm echoing quite a lot. Are you working on it, Pete? And <clears throat> I've noticed... Firstly, in myself, that there's been a slight, how shall I say, this year there's been a slight lack of, of oomph in the happy part of the new year. Right? I don't know if it's just me, but I've also noticed that there's been a lack of happy new year in celebrations or happy new year um, wishes or blessings that's been going around. It's like suddenly between the 31st and now, like social media's just gone quiet on the whole thing. Like almost like, let's not mention it, kind of a thing. I've also noticed, and it might, again, it might just be me, but I've noticed that I have not really been convinced when I've received people's Happy New Year's. And less and less people have actually physically said it. So again, it might just be me. <clears throat> but however, are you getting there, Pete? Must I move here? You want me to speak here? All the time? Like, can that be true? Am I echoing? Am I in here? Am I better here? Okay, so you'll just all tell me where I should go. Um, I'm going to have to keep that here and this here, but there, now I'm going to have to bend down. Oh, but I can take the lectern here. Oh, no. He says no. Okay, I'll put the lectern there and I'll stay in the middle. Okay. Pete, you work on the... I'll wait till you Okay. You'll sort it out. But if you could turn me down here, I'm hearing myself here quite heavily. And that sounds like I'm in a, in a, in a tin can. Okay, so here's the thing. 
Right, you, you get what I'm saying, right? And I, I, I'm, I'm taking this kind of sense here that, yes, I think you're right, Anton, you're onto something. There is a little bit of a lack of, of impetus. It's lost its bit of impetus, right? Uh, I like that face I just saw. Mm, yeah. I like that. That is, thank you. That is confirmation enough. Representative of everybody. Like, mm, yes. It's like, yep, it's gone down the drain. And it is, it is, and it's understandable. It's understandable, it's understandable because of what we've just been through. And it's like, it's like, almost like hesitant to say that because we're just not sure. You know, there's this uncertainty. So I did what most of us do today. In a, when I say most of us, I'm talking about roughly the 8 billion people in the earth. I have become a scientist. And so what scientists do is they do research. Right? Like the 8 billion scientists that now live on the earth suddenly. Okay? And I have now done some research into this. This, what is this that I'm sensing and what is causing this kind of a lull and lack of this happy new year and What's different? What's, what's affecting it? What are the factors that's causing and driving this phenomenon? And I have discovered in my research, my scientific research, that the data that I have collected and interpreted seems to suggest to me that we have collectively reached the, what is, I would refer to as the GVE which is the GV equilibrium. Now, the equilibrium is a big word, especially for an Afrikaner, so I will help you, not assuming we all know what it is, but it's the culminating and coming together and balanced space of something where it, it's kind of in unity and unison. But I, 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 I'm, I'm wanting you to almost see this in sort of quadrants. Because there are different graphs. We all know graphs. We like stats. There's lots of graphs and stats out there at the moment. So I also wanted to go with graphs and stats. I have based this on the fact that we are very aware that as human beings we've been created not as just physical beings. It's becoming more apparent globally. I think as Christians we've been very acutely aware that we have been created um, physical part and emotional beings, mental beings, and also spiritual beings. There might be other nuances to that as well. But let's just say those are the four kind of major quadrants, right? Now, in general terms, we aim to live a life that is in equilibrium with all of those. Kind of a balanced life, right? We want to be sure that we're living healthy, balanced lives. Right? So physically, we want to make sure that we are healthy and look after our physical body and health-wise. Emotionally, relationships and all these sort of things. And then mentally, our thinking, our thoughts, our, you know, what we uh, give access ourselves to and what we also then you know, uh, allow ourselves to, to, to research and knowledge, etc., those things. And then also the spiritual side, which as Christians, we, we get that, you know. However, the GV equilibrium, I believe, if I can take the four quadrants and kind of flip them on the side, and now imagine that the quadrants each have a graph that's going down, right? 
Now we know as a chair with four legs that if one of the legs gets a little bit damaged and is flimsy, when the other three quadrants are, are in good balance, we can still man manage. We can still handle it. And in fact, we can draw from these other quadrants of what makes up our being. However, when each of these quadrants are strained, they start going down this kind of funnel. And this funnel is what I've discovered to be where I believe we find ourselves today, which is the GV equilibrium. It's kind of the culminating of the downslope slipping thing, and it's coming together there, and it's kind of getting a bit stuck there. And that's why we're a little bit like, yeah, up in here. Okay, okay, well, whatever. Here we go. I, it's 2022. I know what happened in 2020. I mean, prophetically, we all went crazy. Double blessing, double alles, double chutter, double up. It's 22, it's two twos. I haven't heard a thing about double blessing. Anything. Because it's, it's just not there, eh? So, South Africa has been very generous in its contribution to the world's uh, vocabulary, right? A number of years, oh, Pete, you keep working your thing. Pray for Pete, pray for Pete. <laughs> A number of years, I'll stay away from that thing. Uh, you might remember how we generously blessed the earth with our contribution of the word vuvuzela. Remember that? Yes, it was exciting. And we all liked hearing the Vuvuzela. I was living in Suralia village. We had just come back from the UK. It was the World Cup soccer. And I remember when I first heard this ghastly sound. <laughs> I was like, what on earth is this? And then we realized it's the build-up for the World Cup. And it's the, this, what the Vuvuvat? Vuvuzela. Yay! The world went crazy. We love this Vuvuzela thing. Hey, it's Africa! Woohoo! It's lacquer. And then slowly, slowly by day three, it's like, okay, it's, a, it's not so lacquer. It's like, Vuvu, what? 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 He's, he's going in, he's going in, he's going in, going I can't hear it. And actually, they all started talking like, this is just a big harass. It's a big noise. And eventually, the world caught on that the Vuvuzela wasn't such a great gift after all. It was actually a big annoyance, and they banned it from all stadiums globally. <laughs> right? Now, perhaps you might also consider another gift that we've given to the world. We come up with this lovely, beautiful terminology of things, because we don't like in South Africa to do things like everybody else. No. We like to just do it a little bit different. Like, you know? So we've come up with a plan called load setting. <laughs> now, believe it or not, but this is a very indigenous term. If you and when you talk about this term in other nations, they would think that you're referring to something that's got to do about going to the toilet. <laughs> right? And then, but we, no, we educate them and say, no, no, it's a whole different thing. It's a system we've developed. It's a new world, like a new word called load shedding. Now, 
I believe on the back of that, I believe that what I found with the GV equilibrium, and I will say this only once for the sake of it might be a little bit PG, and therefore after this I will refer to it as the GVE. So here's where I believe we found ourselves, which is the equilibrium E, GV stands short for Gatvol. Okay? Now, it might just be me, but I think that's where we're finding ourselves. And maybe that is the reason for the lack of the excitement and optimism of the happy part of the new year. Now, as a preacher, I hold myself accountable and take it serious. You might not think that, but I do. So I try to get everything I say, some biblical uh, background or biblical uh, uh, backup, you know? Can I reference this to scripture, this GVE? And so, lo and behold, I looked in scripture and it didn't take me long to find some very good examples of this GVE. It, it seems it's been in play for quite a few thousand of years already. So it's definitely not such a new phenomenon as we thought. Let's consider the story, we'll pick it up, of Joseph. Now, we know that Joseph was the favorite of the 12 sons of Jacob, and we know that his dad gave him this nice coat and everything and made a bit of a hoo-ha about him. And he had this lovely gift about dreams and interpreting dreams. And he started sharing those dreams. Well, it wasn't very long when all 11 brothers reached their GVE. And, <laughs> and even the father was actually kind of had enough of this and uh, didn't quite know what to do with, with Joseph anymore. However, the brothers had a plan. And it wasn't a great plan because... It meant that Joseph's life suddenly got interrupted. The world as he knew it suddenly changed. And before he knew it, the people whom he loved and the people who he thought loved him, well, they threw him in a pit. And he was stuck in a pit. Now, we don't know what the thoughts are that Joseph had. But I'm going to run through a bit of a narrative and cover quite a few hundred of years here for the sake of not diving into deep into the theological teaching here. So forgive me if I skim over things or not get everything exactly accurate. But it will serve its purpose, I believe, in what I believe God wants us to, to, to recognize on the 9th of January 2022. That word Natasha brought is a word for the season. Yeah. You did really well by being obedient. We could have missed out on that. So thank you, Lord, for nudging her and releasing that word. Joseph's life started taking a roller coaster. Let's just say that. And sometimes things looked up and sometimes things looked down. 
but it seems like there were these waves of, and I would just refer it to generally of kind of little waves of hope, right? Because from the pit, he then found himself being pulled out of the pit. Okay, okay, that was scary. Whoa. And then he found himself being sold into a caravan of slavery. Okay, this isn't great. But I suppose it's better than a pit, I don't know. And then his life goes from the, from the slavery caravan, then he gets sold as a slave, and he ends up in Potiphar's house, an official of Pharaoh. And we know that the scripture says, and consistently this, this phrase or this, uh, these words are, goes through the, the storyline, and the Lord was with Joseph. Almost, almost as if to remind us, just in case you, the reader, us here today in 2022, just in case you, you forget and you're thinking, what's going on? The Lord was with Joseph. So that's consistent, right? His circumstances change and his environment changed, yet the consistency was the Lord was with Joseph. And he found favor in the sight of Potiphar. And he was, he was in charge of his household. And look, here's a guy that was really, really striving to do things by the book. I mean, he ran away from Potiphar's wife. We know what happened there. Because he was a man of honor. And he, 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 he wanted to do things right. So it's not that, you know, his ups and downs is because of what he did or what he didn't do. Thank you, Ray. Another great word. It's not because, no, you, you're not good enough now. You're not performing enough, Joseph. Like, why would that happen? He's got favor and he's thriving. Then suddenly, well, he ends up back in a pit. This time, it's not a pit outside in the field. We need to understand this is the Egyptian empire there. This is official of Pharaoh. He's now in a Pharaoh-Egyptian dungeon. It's not a nice place. And he must be thinking, what, what, what's going on here? Now, I don't know at which stage he may have reached the, his GVE, but it seems like he, he managed to continuously find a way to look at the upside. Because while he was in the prison, he found favor with the prison guards. He made, almost like he made the best of a bad situation kind of phrase thing. It's like he kind of did that, isn't it? You know, and, and he had influence in the midst of the calamity. He had influence in the midst of the environment, in the suffering, in the dungeon. In, he had influence in that space. His influence wasn't dependent on the surroundings or the environment or the situation, his influence was because the Lord was with Joseph. So he had influence wherever he went. Now that led to him, as we know, laying out dreams for the baker and the cupbearer. The baker learned quickly that his dream turned out to be a nightmare. And that didn't go great for him because it came true after three days. He didn't, let's just say, he was not baking for long anymore. 
the cupbearer of Pharaoh now. Interesting link, we're going from pit to caravan to Potiphar to Pharaoh. Interesting how we could think things are going there, but actually in the background things are going there. We just cannot see it. And he ends up being summoned after another disappointment, of course, where the cupbearer just forgets about Joseph for quite a few years. Uh, let's just consider this for another two years. Have you noticed how we tend to just abstractly read scripture? Right? Like, for another few years. Oh, oh, that's too bad. How do you navigate? How do you emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally keep an equilibrium that keeps your head up, that keeps your hope up? How do you do that? Yet, a few years later, he gets called up by Pharaoh. And from what we can see is he arrives there quite fully ready, quite in a good space. I, that's what I can ascertain. He doesn't arrive there, you know, moping and groping and grumbling and growling. He arrives there and he's there ready to serve. And he serves this Pharaoh honorably and humbly. And guess what? You know. Well, he gets put in charge. A second only to Pharaoh. Suddenly, he goes from that to that to that to that to that to boom. Now, I don't know how many things Joseph had to deal with in all of these, let's just call them pit experiences, right? Okay? Pit experiences. Uh, but I have a, an idea that, that there were quite a lot of convictions and a lot of thoughts and a lot of bitterness and a lot of resentment because Joseph is a human being made out of emotional, mental, physical, spiritual parts. And he has a memory of what happened before. And actually, he had a lot of time now to think about who did what. And a lot of questions around why and no answers because he couldn't speak to anybody. So... So I don't know how many of the things that he knew from the past he had left behind by the time he got into Pharaoh's courts. But things went really well in Pharaoh's courts. And as we know, he's, he's, he's now running things and there's, there's, there's food barns and stores, etc. He's got this incredible strategy. And then something happens. Something happens. Now, uh, now, I want to tell you, I just want to read this one verse because it's, it's quite, no, not that one. Where are we? Um, where are you? There we are. So, he, he is, do you love the Bible app? Not now. Yes. No thanks. Feedback. Here we go. I've lost it there. Um, in the narrative, Joseph is busy and he sees his brothers. Now, here's the fact. It's about 20, 22 years later. Right? I suppose he's forgiven them. He's gone over it. He's worked through it. I suppose he's forgotten about it. 
But in the, in the script, in the passage, it says that basically my, my version, but he, he was kind of shocked. And then he spoke to them. The word there is harshly. He spoke cruelly. His first reaction was he, he, he hid himself and then he spoke harshly to them. Is his brother, family, 22 years? I think he's carrying something. <laughs> I don't know. But I think he's, 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 he's got some stuff of the past that he knew that he's still holding on to. And now we have this kind of cat and mouse story that starts to play out between him and his brothers and all sorts. And we know there's a lot of detail in there and what have you. But all of this detail tells me that Joseph isn't quite sure what he's doing or what he wants to do. But he's, he's trying to figure stuff out. And eventually, eventually, we find him and they bring his younger brother, who is the same brother with the same mother. So a very dear brother to him. It's not his half-brother, it's his full brother. And it's Benjamin. And he stands and he sees Benjamin, and the, and the passage says that he is overcome by emotion. So much so that he walks away and he hides himself in his private chambers. And he weeps. Now, I don't know what, what suddenly just came back for him and what happened there. But in the end of this narrative, when it all plays out and Jacob and everybody, and everybody comes back, eventually we know that he had gone and revealed himself to his brothers and he wraps his arms around them and there's forgiveness, there's healing, there's unity. But it wasn't easy. It, it seems to me that in that chamber, the Lord who was with Joseph would have been with Joseph in that weeping chamber. Perhaps that weeping chamber was another one of Joseph's final pits. Maybe a pit stop. And he, with the Lord with him, needed to let go of some of the stuff he knew. Because it seems that God was doing a new thing. And God's pursuit of this and God's orchestrating of all of this behind the scenes for 22 years is to bring healing and unity and connection and rebuild and repair and renew. So now we have Israel living in Egypt. And the Israelites are flourishing. We now have a number of years, many years of them flourishing. Right. We're skipping through a lot of history here. Eventually, there's a new king in town. Right? And he actually does not know who Joseph was. So I'm assuming that He's not, Joseph is not featuring on the first or second page of Google anymore, all right? I don't know if any of you go to the second page of Google these days. I think we're all stuck on the first page because we can't find it there. Apparently, it doesn't exist. 
Now, Joseph is not on the first page of Google, and he doesn't know anything about Joseph and the previous Pharaoh, so actually he doesn't care about the history. He just sees this big tribe that is a foreign tribe in his land, and they are multiplying, and they are flourishing. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph, and we know that the Lord would have been with Israel and with the Israelites, because they are his people, whom he had made a promise, a covenant with. So the Lord was with them. And then suddenly their world is interrupted. Suddenly, life as they knew it, thriving, suddenly, suddenly stopped, suddenly changed. Because Pharaoh said, I don't like what's going on there. They could get too big and too strong and they could overpower us. Actually, let's overpower them before they do that to us. And they become slaves. He enslaves the Israelites in Egypt. Now, the, 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 the scriptures tells us a few key words around what life was like under this enslavement, made to work, to build bricks, etc., etc. This, this was a cruel, oppressive regime. And again, it's difficult because it's quite abstract because we don't live in modern day that type of slavery. We don't generally see that anymore in a sense. So how do we relate to this? And I can only think that, uh, that some of us here would understand this better, perhaps, and understand more deeply and acutely what they went through in a sense because of what we've had in South Africa with a very cruel, oppressive regime called apartheid. Now, I can't quite relate to that because I was on the privileged side and not on the oppressed side. I didn't choose it, but I was handed that card. Now, I, I don't quite understand that either, but some of you might understand what it feels like in a sense. And, and not comparing evil with evil because it's all just wicked and evil, but these guys were worked to the bone given just enough food to be able to continue to work. Now, it says there in the narrative, in the passage, that the Lord remembered his promise to Abraham. Now again, let me remind you, in the beginning I said, it's not like the Lord forgot, right? It's just stating it's God is a remembering God. Not God is a forgetting God and sometimes he remembers. It's just stating for us, he remembered. He's reminding us that the Lord remembered. So he remembered his promises. And hope was on its way. And the hope came in the form of a Moses basket. Right? We know that Pharaoh said, don't like this, all newborn babies, boys, kill them. But this one slipped out, and his name was Moses. Now the Israelites who are being oppressed, who are under, they are going through years of just carnage. And I don't know how they keep their hopes up in that situation because it's just ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. But hope is happening. But the baby has to grow up to become Moses. And we know that he lands himself 
with favor because it seems the Lord was with Moses as he was with Joseph and he ends up in the courts of Pharaoh and he's raised as a prince. Now, that's fantastic, but how quickly we glance over that because we forget like, whoo, yes, this is great. Go God, come on. But how old was he by the time he grew up in the palace before he could have any influence? There's another 20-odd whatever years. 20-odd years. I, I don't say this unkindly, guys, but we're at two years. We're talking here, we're talking of decades here, of suffering. We're talking of decades here. I don't know what the Israelites, how they managed to cry out to God. How they did not completely write God off. Look, they weren't great themselves. They made a few mistakes along the road. But consistently they cried out to God. They too remembered the promises of God, it seems to me, because they cried out to God. And now we have Moses, and at one stage we also find that Moses, who wasn't great in himself, wasn't quite good enough either, raised word this morning, because he reached his GVE point when he saw his people being treated badly one day out on a walk, and he actually lost it. He lost it. I don't know if any of you felt like you've lost it over the last couple of years. Well, he lost it so bad that he, he didn't just want to kill someone, maybe a child or family member. I don't know if those thoughts crosses your holy minds. But he went to action and he killed a man. And then he ran away because he was afraid that he's going to get to Pharaoh and what will happen to him. So he ran away. He was depressed. He was down in the dumps. All quadrants, he's there out, and the Lord was with Moses because he found him. I love that song, Blessed Be Your Name, when I'm found in the desert place. I love that because that is so biblically accurate. Not, Blessed Be Your Name, when I find myself in a desert. No, when I am found, God finds us. That's what he does. His eyes go to and fro. He is with his people. Whether in good times of plenty or in bad times of lack. The Lord is consistent and with his people. Now, God tells Moses, as we know, I want you to go back. And he's like, what? Okay, to and fro, a whole uh, debate goes on between him and God and a whole wrestling of words and excuses. But eventually, he goes back and he speaks to the Israelite elders. And initially, the news falls on soft ears and pliable hearts. And they say, this sounds good. Okay. So after a few days of fasting, etc., and praying, they commission and send Moses and Aaron to go and speak to Pharaoh. Now, I can imagine that the Israelites' hopes are, it's a, it's a little wave of hope here, after a long time of really kind of drought. So his hopes are, must be up. And he goes to speak to Pharaoh, 
and um, it doesn't go really well. In fact, it goes really pear-shaped because Pharaoh decides, actually, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit offended by what you even said, so uh, those people of yours who've been working so hard, you know what I'm going to do? Let's remove all the straw, right, which bulks up the bricks, which makes it easier to make the amount of bricks. Let's take the straw away. And I still want them to make the same amount of bricks. So he's removing their resources and he's expecting them to do even more. So he's working them twice as hard. Now I must think that the Israelites, they're not happy. They are actually quite upset with Moses and Aaron and, and they thought this was God's hope being sent to them. And he said, God sent me to do this and God's going to do this and he's going to set you free and this and that. And when are they getting tired of saying Happy New Year because Moses is here? When are they getting a little bit stale because Moses is, is, is saying God sent him from there and we know he was, this is a good, he, he's got actually evidence he was there. So he, but, but now nothing happened. And then we go even deeper into this waves of ups and downs. Again, we scroll abstractly very quickly through the ten plagues, right? But we forget that every single plague comes with a wave of hope because now what's happening is they are physically seeing the manifestation, right? They are seeing action physically. Here's a wave of God is doing something. And then Pharaoh says, no. Nah. And here's another wave of hope and uh, and another one, and this goes on nine times. And I don't know, but these are real special people because by the tenth time, I would have reached my GVE a long time ago, but these guys seem to be of a... They seem to be holding something deep in their hearts that they seems to, seem to be able to dig and tap into. But God made a promise then there's nothing, none of this makes sense. If God said that, then, then, then surely. So they follow Moses. Now, nine times, what, what Moses came and what, it didn't work. But for the tenth time, they follow instructions, detailed instructions, right? Now, if you've been worked hard as a slave and you've been through nine plagues, I don't know if you're going to be quite up for all these little Fitriasis, you know, find a little lamb and this and that, do this and put this, must do this and this and this and that. Like, it's getting very technical. And they follow it detail, detail, they follow it through. Here's a resilience in this people that is remarkable. Now we know the journey. From that, we have finally, they are being set free. And they're out. But now, hope is flourishing. We are free. And then they don't realize that Moses took a left where he should take in a right, and they're down a cul-de-sac, and there is an expanse of water, and Pharaoh comes chasing down with chariots, and they're like, hope is down. The Bible says, the Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I don't know in what state their hearts was by now. 
But then God does something really remarkable. He creates a dry desert through the water. A dry desert for them to walk through, through the water. Incredible. They get to the other side. I mean, hope is flying, flourishing. Okay, we don't have any drinking water. We don't have miracle. Hope down, a miracle. Boom. We don't have any food. Hope down, miracle. Wow. And eventually, it gets to a place where they actually are tired of this manna and water. It's quite a stale vegan diet. And they are they are looking for some meat. Right? Now, here's a verse in the storyline that I struggled to understand before. I really struggled, especially in my, in my uh, milk years of a Christian in the UK. I remember having some very, ex very, um, what say, very, very opinionated conversations about this exact point of the Israelites. When it says that they wished they were back in Egypt, you know, because that, they knew, what they knew then, was at least better than this. And they wanted to go back to what they knew. I mean, that just baffled my mind. I was like, why would you ever, why, what? Why would you ever want to do that? I was... I was struck a few years ago, well, not physically, but a, a moment of shift and change of my life that I'll never forget. So, many of you know, but just for context of the storyline, about six years ago, I had a mental health breakdown, which a lot of people are struggling with at the moment, emotional well-being, burnout, etc., Etc. Et and so I was on a very slow journey of recovery. And physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I was, all of these things were affected. And I remember sitting, uh, it was about two and a half, three years into my recovery journey. Emotionally, I, I, was, I was slow, but there was a, the trend was looking up. Um, spiritually, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was okay. I wasn't flying, but it was, it was all right. Mentally, even there, but, but physically, I was just exhausted, constantly exhausted. You know what I said? Well, let me tell you what I said, actually, when this happened. I was having a therapy session with my psychologist. Now, she had come to know me pretty, pretty well, and... We sat one day, and as you would imagine, when you walk into any uh, a psychologist therapy session, they are going to ask you, like the Dwemini would ask, you know, how are you, you weary? You know, they have a way to ask you, how are you? And I just burst, bursted, uh, splurted out, I'm tired. And she said, not phase, tired of exactly what? I said, you know what? I'm tired of being tired. Have you, have you been tired of being tired? Just tired of being 
tired. I mean, that, you know, I was there. You, yeah. So I'm tired of being tired. So she says to me, well, what would you like instead? I said, I would like energy. I would like vigor. I would like vitality. I said to her, I'm an action man. I, I'm an action guy. I do stuff. I get stuff done. And she sat, not phased at all, and she asked me, when was the last time that you were this action man? And I sat and said, about, well, probably the year before my breakdown. And then she sat and looked at me, and there was a silence. Now, I now have, in hindsight, realized that the silence was not because she was thinking of what to ask me next. It was definitely a pause for effect. Because <laughs> what came out of her mouth next It changed my life. She said to me, Anton, the year before your breakdown, correct? I said, yes. You want to go back to that? I said, yes. She said, well, how did that turn out for you? Wow. Wow. Wow, I wanted to go back to that. You see, I had forgotten what that was and what that led to. I had forgotten because all I remember was meat. At least there was meat, but I forgot about everything else, which is the grace of God in a way. Like a mother giving birth, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a chemical that is released that actually removes the, the physical, not the memory of the moment, but the memory of the physical pain. I can't personally, you know, attest to that, but this is what science says. We forget so quickly, but we want to go back to what we knew, because at least that was better than this. What if Joseph kept on doing that? And now how can I be so harsh on the Israelites when I find myself, wow, on... Am I not just the same? And I, I realized quickly that God wants to do a new thing. And as long as I hold on to the things I knew, I will not be able to take hold of the thing that is new. Not the thing that will be new, but the thing that is new. At the end of Joshua's life, he says this. I'll just share these two scriptures and then we're going to, then I'm done. Joshua lived to be 110. He was 40 when he went into the promised land to spy the land, right? And he, we know he came back and saying, yes, right? Um, he he, he writes in the passage of in Joshua, I think 14, he writes and says that he believed he, what he saw was good with all his heart. 
it, that word refers to the inner man, inside, deep his heart. He knew this was good, that we could do this. But then he ended up being in the desert for a further 40 years. This Joshua. Now this Joshua, we forget that he was in the desert for 40 years. And, and what we also forget, so quickly, is that he was 40 when he went to spy. That means he was also in Egypt. Right? So he was also a slave. And now he gets sent and he sees this and he remembers the promises, the covenant that God had made. And it's deep in his inner man, in his heart. He comes back and he says with his conviction, it says with his conviction, he said that. But the others convinced him otherwise. And he went for 40 years in the desert. 40 years, the same Joshua, carrying what he knows. He, 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 I know what I know what I know. I entered the land and, and I know God said this is the land. But they didn't listen. And now for 40 years, 40 years he has to go and suffer with this knowing. And then he eventually gets past the baton. Now, we tend to think, I, sorry, I tend to think, I tend, uh, I tend to have thought or think in the past tenses that what was it about Joshua that made him such a great leader, right? And the thing when we say Joshua, we go to courage, right? Because God said, be of great courage, courageous, da, 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 da. So courage, Joshua, we go there, we teach on that, right? But I think it's something else. I think it's something deeper. I think it's something that's less fleeting than courage. Because courage can come and courage can go. But the things of God do not go. When you know what you know what you know, they never change. It's not fleeting. Joshua says this at the end of his life. It's his final speech. And he says this. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. He's dying. And you. He, he's leaving them with a reminder. He's leaving them with something like he's saying. He's picking his words very carefully here. Because he says this is his last he said his last message to them, his final speech, he's telling them, you, he's declaring, he's reminding, he's prophesying over them truth. He says, you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one word has failed of the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. 
You know what you know what you know. Don't ever forget that. My version. When it gets tough in the future, when it gets difficult again, pass this on to your children and their children and their children to know what you know what you know about the things and promises of God. Because not one of them have not come to pass. The only thing that is standing in the way of God's promise over your life, God's promise over this community, God's promise over this church, this nation, the only thing that's standing between God's promise and that being fulfilled is time. It's only time. And God does not operate on our clock. God does not work chronologically. God operates in a time outside of time. The Greeks got close to this with kairos, the opportune time. With God, every second of every day, of every month, of every year, 2022, is the opportune time. And that's why 750 odd years later, halfway between where they were, Joshua dying and Jesus coming, Isaiah rocks up and he says this word. He's coming before the next captivity. And he's coming. And he leaves them with this at the end of uh, some really hard reading and some really tough words. In chapter 1 to 42, he comes with chapter 43, and he says this, and this is church, church, everything I've said, everything I've said this morning, and all the story I've told you is to get you to understand this one thing. One thing. Isaiah 43, 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider things of old. My version, let go of the things you knew. Now he's actually talking here about the exodus. So he's not even talking about the bad stuff. He's talking about, you know, the good stuff I did? Remember this, the, the, when, I, when I created a desert in the water? He says, well, I've got news for you. Forget about that. Forget about that. It's small change compared to what I am doing. You might not see it, but I am doing it because you're, yes, you're in the pit and you can't see out. Yes, you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a prison and you can't see outside. Yes, you're in a desert and you can't see beyond. But that does not mean that I am not working. It does not mean that I am not busy fulfilling my promises. So forget about those things. 
see. Behold, I am doing a new thing. This isn't hopeful thinking. I will do a new thing. Just hold on. He's saying, let go and take hold because I am doing a new thing. And then he, look how beautiful this is because he knows who he's speaking to. It's the Israelites. These guys passed on these stories and promises and things from generation to generation to generation. This is now at least seven, eight, nine generations, probably 10 generations later. And look how beautiful God blesses them with this picture. And he says, remember not the former things, i.e., when I created a desert in the water. He says, I will make a river in the desert. <laughs> Where I made a desert in the river, I'll make a river in the desert. Don't think that what I did then, I cannot do exactly the opposite and it will be even greater. The latter will be greater than the former. Don't underestimate me. Don't box me in. Don't even consider those great things of the past. Because you know. He says, do you not know it? This is the same word Joshua used seven, eight hundred years ago when he said, and you know, it's the same word, yada. So if you struggle in these days, just say, yada, 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 yada. Get a new word to your tongue. Know what you know what you know. My question that I believe I want to release for us in this year, church, what is it that you have to let go of, of the past? Now, that can mean, as Nathan said, some of us are rightfully, understandably, still stuck in 2019, pre-COVID. I understand that. We want to go back. I just want my life back. I just want to go back to the way it was. But... No, I am doing, I am doing a new thing, Joseph. I am doing a new thing, Israel. I am doing a new thing, Philippians, Corinthians, disciples, Christians, the Bay, Cape Town, South Africa, my dear children of the world, I'm doing a new thing. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Let go and take hold of the things you know that you know that you know. What is it that you need to let go of in order that you can take hold of? what God is already doing. The treasure you seek is inside the cave you fear to enter. 
It's right there in open display. Just need to let go. And it's there. God has been doing a new thing in you. God has been doing a new thing in me. God has been doing a new thing in my wife, in my life, in our marriage. We've had a lot of challenges. Marriages have been under pressure. Families have been under pressure. God is doing a new thing. A new thing like we've never seen. Like we're, we're a little bit bedazzled. Like, and it's, it's only, we only recognized it recently as we started to let go. We needed to let go. We hold on so tightly. Our hands are so full of the past. Even the good stuff. Forget it. Paul says, I count it as nothing, as loss, as nothing. I don't know what that is for you, for your marriage, for your family, for you individually. But I believe that God wants to minister. God wants to bring healing. When he said in Isaiah, the new thing, that word that he uses there means to renew, means to repair, means to rebuild. God has been repairing his relationship with his people ever since sin came and broke it. He's been doing that. He's been doing that renewal work since then, and he is doing it now. And the pain and the loss and the suffering, it's not wasted. He didn't want it, but it's happened. And he can change and give you beauty in exchange for your ashes. What you are holding on to is ashes by now. It's become dust. All you need to go is... And if you don't have the strength, the Holy Spirit come and breathe. Breathe on me. Let me just pray for you. Jesus, right now, Holy Spirit, in this moment, even right now, God, what you've brought to the surface that has been deep under, that has, uh, we have been holding on to, my God, if it, is, if it is anger, if it is disappointment, if it is grief, if it is loss, if it is sickness, if it is dis uh, disappointment, disillusionment, if it is bitterness, Father, breathe. Breathe, O oh God, and let these hands be opened. And with wide stretched open hands, God, we take hold again of what we know, we know, we know, the goodness of God. The promises of God are yes and amen. And you are sovereign. You are in control. God, come and blow away the former things. Holy Spirit, you have been given to us by the Father because in our weakness, we need you so that we can be strong. I pray that you will minister to each and every person here, each and every 
situation, each and every marriage, family, relationships, each and every heart, that you will give them the courage of Joshua, the obedience of Moses, to let go and to take hold that they may experience the contentness of Paul in all circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a blessed Sunday. It's a hot one. And I encourage you Don't miss this. Okay. Bless you.